news. <gasps> another one? I'm not having another baby. Oh. I've been snipped. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, things can True. reverse. <laughs> True. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not having another baby. My God, my wife would kill me if she got pregnant again. I said, well, actually, it takes two to tango, darling. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, other than that, I think we should hit record, Mr. Bradley, and then we can start recording, can't we? I think we can. May I, I ask, before we start idea. recording, is, is that your wife digging the garden or is there some work going on outside today? <sighs> we got builders next door. Hmm. And yesterday afternoon, uh, I knew, I, my brain is so fried at the moment because I've got builders doing stuff now. And the builder said, ah, there's a foxhole, there's a foxhole, there's a foxhole. And I was in the middle of a conversation with um, a serious prospect. And uh, I've got that going on. I've got electricians coming up to the shed and saying, can we cut your power off now for an hour and a half? <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm trying to run a business here. And I've got a very important global podcast to do bugger off and go and file your nails for an hour so you thought that was quite funny thankfully i'm led to believe then at some point if you cut off randomly it's because someone has cut through in your garden they've used some pickaxe or something to cut yeah. through well cable. it's either uh the moronic builder next door who just seems to like digging holes in next door's garden and finding foxes so it's either a fox right uh, the moron next door digging holes in the garden or the electrician uh, who's decided to cut the entire house off oh. uh, from all its electrician electricity. So I don't know what... I'm fried. I'm absolutely fried. I, I don't know what's happening anymore. So how this show's going to go, I don't know. It could be a crazy, crazy weird one this time well exciting anyway good morning good afternoon good evening i'm anthony price <laughs> and i'm frazzled <laughs> I, I, do you know that that could stick uh, jb frazzled <laughs> isn't there a bag of crisps those crisps called frazzled yeah they were nice do they still make those i love those i think they do i think like, you can get them in kind of like your little corner shops and things where they kind of have those space raided things and pick a mix Ooh, and frazzles space well yeah those little space ball they, things the, the, yeah space balls and they're also space raiders were kind of a rip off of monster munch they still exist because they're tempia bag i mean they're ultimately just air aren't they let's be honest so <laughs> Um, that's the biggest con ever isn't it just anyway good morning good afternoon good evening um, we um, at the Global Leadership Podcast um, as ever um, are looking forward to you joining us for the next uh, 55, 58 maybe even an hour uh, in duration as we explore leadership news uh, information thinking and also your questions. If you have a listener question, um, if you haven't done so already, um, if you're in the live audience, you can submit it in the Q&A box. If you are um, wishing to send it to us to review and then answer when we do the next recording, you just need to email us at globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com. That's how you interact with us. Um, however, we do have some lovely topics to talk about today. But before we get into anything, JB, the highlights of your last seven days, please. And don't forget to ask me when you're finished. Ooh. Um, well, actually, uh, and I am not blowing smoke up um, an orifice here, mm. but um, attending a board meeting this week in the evening with a couple of cans of beer and meeting a whole load of lovely, brilliant non-exec directors and learning all about uh, Tri-Digital uh, and uh, Seedle 
uh, this fabulous company that I'm involved with, which uh, Ant is the CEO of. <laughs> which is, uh, I am not blowing smoke up your arse, I promise, but it was really, really um, fabulous. And I'll tell you what it did, and I did pass this on to Ant. Um, I realised just how important uh, technology in the back room is uh, in a startup organisation these days, particularly a digital base one. And, you know, the innovation that's going into that. And, um, you know, and has a fantastic knack of hiring extraordinary talent. And and one of these, or two of these, in fact, maybe even three of them, uh, are magnificent nerds. I hope they don't mind me saying that. No, they were uh, that but they are, but they are quite nerdy. They are quite weird. Uh, one one sits in a in a sort of um, a Game Boy chair. Um, he looks about. He looks like he's about to go on a Formula One race somewhere. Um, and looking and at him, you wouldn't, a, you wouldn't think he's old enough to be married with two kids, would you? No, absolutely not. And he talks a language that I just <laughs> have... I have little understanding of what he's actually saying, but translated, I realise just how exciting all of this is. So that was a highlight, absolute highlight. Knocking down walls, knocking down ceilings. Um, and that's not a metaphor. That was me actually doing that in the kitchen. Um, nice that's link, exciting. <laughs> I've been I've been writing so much flipping content because uh, we've got the book launch, the No Normal Leader book, okay. arriving next week, next Friday, um, and that's quite exciting. And I, I've just been asked to just create so much, so much content around it. I thought, God, I've written the book. That's it. I'm done. I don't have to write anything ever again. But. Um, I'm being asked to write so many blog posts and all sorts of flipping things. Um, so, but um, yes, that's it. I mean, in a way, it's a highlight because uh, I can do it and it is happening. I'm, ex I'm excited about your book. I'm excited about that. Uh, do you know, it looks, it looks really lovely. Have you got a physical copy yet? Have you got like a, an advanced physical copy now? No, I've got I've got um, electronic copy of it, which is isn't quite the same because no. I want to be able to smell it. I don't even want to open it. I just, all I want to do is have my office full of the smell mm. of books that that I <laughs> you've written, <laughs> <laughs> and all of his Mister Men books to make up the space in the shelves of the books he didn't write. <laughs> I can't talk. There's not My one book Enid on that Blythe shelf. Isn't it? Me. Yeah. Um, now, tell me, Anne, about your your week. I bet our highlight is similar, but you might have some other news, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So, I'll, I'll, yeah, my highlight for the last week was um, so as JB's alluded to, we um, have now formed a board of directors for the company in which I'm involved in in my day job. Um, and it's a very exciting group of people that are going to help shape the company. So um, for the listeners that, that aren't members of Seedle.com, I know the live audience, I think, generally are. Um, we are, uh, we've been live with the, the, the Seedle product now for a couple of months. We've obviously been doing um, learning on a custom basis for a long time, but that's irrelevant. But we've, um, as part of the growth, we've put together a really talented team, as JB says. So it was nice this week to have these very talented people exposed to the board of directors that are going to ultimately be steering the business because a lot of the non-exec directors hadn't met each other before. I think you'd met a couple of them informally. but yeah. um, And it was really nice because I, I've met all of these people before. So I knew, I had an instinct that would tell me this is going to be a real powerhouse of a team from the board and the management team. 
Um, and in addition, I also know that these are the foundations of some really long lasting relationships that I know in 20 years time that people that are on the board today will end up forming really long lasting bonds and will look back as oh, how we met. Well, regard, I mean, hoping Seedle ends up being a global phenomenon, of course, but, um, you know, but it, 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 for me, that was a real highlight because I don't know about you. One thing I don't like many things about weddings because I got married and like we've all been married, I'm sure. Um, well, I know you and I have at least. And you spend the day kind of wishing there was more time to spend time with people you wanted to spend time with because you're literally being a networker all day, aren't you? Going to one person, thanks for coming. Oh, yeah, we fully regret it. Doesn't she look beautiful? Yada, 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 yada. Um, and um, the one thing I always liked about it is the fact that I thought, oh, I want to, I want to introduce, I've, I've always talked about this person to this person and this person to this person. I can introduce them. So for me, it was a bit like that on Tuesday, but without the worry of the wedding piece. It was an opportunity to introduce some people that have inspired me throughout my career that have helped bring the business together, really. So that was exciting. And some very lovely bridesmaids that you've got there <laughs> and page boys. Um, I did notice them in the background. They were lovely. Aren't they beautiful? But no champagne. I didn't get any champagne, which was a bit upset about. No, so but I had to I, rely on my own beer. Yeah, you had a brew dog, didn't you, I think, on hand? Was it a brew dog? Uh, I had, I think it was a San Miguel. San Miguel, I like a San Miguel in my shed. Makes me think I'm on holiday. In Cairns, that's right, that's right. Um, anyway, the other bit of news is, last week, JB, you asked me what I was up Ooh. to over the weekend. And obviously, yes. aside from embracing Mother's Day, which was incredibly important, um, I went car hunting, if you remember. Oh, yes. So, um, for the listeners that aren't regular, um, or maybe this is your first episode you've listened to, um, I um, have four children, so I require a seven-seater car, ultimately. Um, but for the last year, <laughs> it sat on the driveway and was... So you bought a sports car. <laughs> So uh, it was depreciating £700 a month, my my, my Q7. Um, and you looked at the kind of the price of the valuation. It was just going down like a stone. Anyway, long story short, got rid of it because I knew it was going to lose another 10 grand this year in value. And actually just decided my wife has a you know car that can fit the, the children in minus me. <laughs> so that's fine. Um, and actually with the pandemic and I suspect that's we're not brilliant yeah, exactly <laughs> that's so a result decided to go and buy just a an old sports car which I will probably keep for a long time and then we'll just take two cars everywhere for a while because so anyway I've, I've spent 10 grand so it's not a big amount of money well, I don't know what the US dollars was that 13 and a half thousand dollars no fourteen thousand dollars in currency that's current. my entire pension fund is it really? Um, well, if you, with any hope, this will be a pension fund because it could be a modern classic in three or four years. So I've got a 10-year-old Z4. Oh, that's a BMW for those who don't know car brands. Yes, very nice. Uh, full BMW service history. Felt quite sad taking it off of this man because it was his bachelor car. He's now uh, just had a baby with his wife oh, and clearly dear. a two-seater car isn't compatible. So he's selling it and buying a Peugeot 5007. Oh, poor fella. Oh, that's sad. And it is his baby. I mean, you can see he's one of these people that watches it every weekend and it's got full BMW service history. Every invoice is in a punch pocket. Um, obviously, wow. I then thought, is this a scam? I then did a HPI check, which in the UK means you can look at all their insurance history and everything. Everything, everything is clean. Um, so if uh, this next week you ask me, how's the car? And I say, yeah, it's, it's, in, the, it's in the junkyard. Then it's a blooming amazing scam. And I want to yeah. explore how the hell they can do it, but I'm ninety. Has it got a roof? Yeah, it's a hard top convertible. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so my ten-year-old boy is very excited about the prospect of us having a sports car. Um, in his words, so. When you say a hard top um, convertible, the the hard top turns into a convertible car. Yeah. So the the boot opens, the roof then yeah. comes off and goes into the boot, and then the boot shuts. 
on you it. see, as a boy, that's all I'd want to watch all day long. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, that yeah. would excite me a lot. I'll send you a video of it when I test it tonight. I tested would it. You? That's apparently the expensive bit if it goes wrong, is if the roof stops ah. working. And especially if you get stuck halfway, you're screwed. So. Uh, this is the problem for us. We have so many children, and I think sometimes we do need um, a, an escape hatch, an escape route. Yes. Um, and it sounds like you've now got yourself one. I bought a um, an Audi A4 Cabriolet um, on a on a bit of a midlife crisis moment uh, in a, in a moment of, of peak, <laughs> and brought it home. And um, my wife at the time um, went mental. So uh, that had to go, and As did I the wife a, by the sound of things. Okay, and I bought a I bought a truck instead. So you're, is that your Navara something or other you bought? Yes, I had a Nissan Navara truck. I'm gonna be telling me about just, this. Just it was it was fabulous for carting round um, rubbish and um, camping equipment, but absolutely useless um, in terms of of delivering children anywhere or going off anywhere as a family. So. That went, and then my marriage went too. And um, I, I think there is probably you could probably look at the different cars that led up to that final collapse of the relationship. It was the Nav- and Nissan. it's all my fault. The whole thing, the, uh, it's completely my fault. And I think my wife would, my ex-wife would admit that. In fact, my current wife would probably admit that too. <laughs> Where have we gone with this? And conversation? we're now we're now thirteen minutes into our hour, and we've not even covered. So this week we have we have two submitted questions in advance by our listeners. We've got oh, uh, one I or like two those. in the audience. There's one in the audience I can see as well. Well, that's a nice long yeah. question actually. So we're going to cover that. Um, we do have some topics to talk about though. So uh, JB, over to you for topic number one. Well, so I was having a lovely uh, conversation with uh, one of my mates. Um, who I used to work for many, many moons ago. And um, I got into this conversation about um, democratic leadership. And uh, I put forward the idea that uh, this was to do with some blog posts that I was writing about different leadership styles in the no normal world. And I, I thought, it would be interesting to cover the idea of being a democratic leader. And in my mind, I was thinking that a leader uh, actually has a choice uh, to operate uh, his leadership team uh, like a, a democracy where people's opinions and thoughts and ideas are listened to um, and, you know, decisions are made uh you know, collaborate in a a collaborative way. Um, And anyway, he, he thought that wasn't a great idea. And no successful businesses or organisations are run effectively by a democratic leader. And so I wanted to ask you, Anne, what, whether you feel that you are a democratic leader, or not. Wow. I'm eating the microphone then because I was taking a sip of drink and I didn't want it being picked up on microphone. <laughs> um, oh, and there's a little email just gone off my ear as well. Let me just shut my email down. Um, so it's funny, actually. I have a subconscious barometer about whether I'm being too railroady in my thinking um, because there are a... 
I, I think I'm relatively safe to say this without offending any of my team. Um, I knew what I wanted from the get-go in terms of what the end product would look like. And because I laid in bed so late at night so many times, tossing and turning and thinking and refining and refining and refining, um, I guess um, that means I know what I want. So when people come with alternative opinions that I think tack away from what I think is this vision space we're going to, um, I do struggle and it has to be a really compelling reason as to why we need to change it. That said, I absolutely do change my opinion and want people to challenge my thinking all the time and they know to embrace that. So I would like to think that if I overrule a, a, a democratic process that people support my decision as being final rather than feeling he's just doing it because of power over. So I don't know if that's kind of answering the question, is it? Well, so um, I was quite taken aback mm. by um, <clears throat> what was what was said yeah. uh, by my friend, stroke colleague, stroke um, previous employer. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to actually be known as a, as a sort of great democratic style leader? Mm. And so I got thinking about the word style and being democratic is a is a, you select that style and it's like a sort of quiver full of arrows and there's this guy who was quite big in the 1930s called Kurt Lewin and he was in big into organizational development and uh, the way organizations tick and he defined three different leadership styles one was the autocratic uh, leadership style. Um, the other was um, participative, which is your democratic leadership style. And finally, your delegative, which he described as laissez-faire. Um, so it's uh, laissez-faire, it, it's a kind of let it all hang out and let it be and see what happens. And this was very, very useful going back to Kurt Lewin um, because I get quite excited by OD, organisational development, and, and how, um, you know, structures and uh, organisations can change through different elements and relationships and um, they're the unknown and the unseen in organisations, the relationships between relationships. And so I actually started shifting my thinking a little bit um, because, and I think you are all three. I think, uh, and I think this about other leaders too, they, they are autocratic, they are participative stroke democratic, and they are laissez-faire. Um or delicative, delicative. So examples of these things will be sometimes the shit hits the fan mm -hmm. and the leader is expected by the business and the senior leadership team to make the expletive decision, to make the decision. Yeah. Just, you know, that's what you paid for. 
get on with it, make it happen. That's your autocratic style. You're paid to do that. You're also paid to employ people who are sodding good at what they do, Yeah, perhaps even better than you. So if and, you don't the, use that... The, the geeks are a prime example of that, aren't they? Absolutely. The geeks are brilliant. And so you employ people uh, who, are, who are potentially much better than you. Um, that's the sort of democratic participative leader coming through. I think the laissez-faire, you know, the delegative uh, leader who delegates practically everything, their default position is to delegate as much as they can so that they can go and play on the golf course. No, so that they can get on with the really, really important things. Now, I was thinking, uh, is, is there a blurred line between total empowerment and delegation? Yeah, and yeah. The, the reason I, I say that is because I would like to think that I'm an empowering leader. In fact, you know what? We should do a 360 internally at some point um, as a as a weather bell for all this stuff um, because I'm, I am I want to develop equally like all of us do. Um, but I guess there are times when I empower someone totally and think, oh, shit, they're about to walk off a cliff. Do I intervene or do I yes. let them pain learn? Mm-hmm. Um, and if I also know it's going to piss off a client, I will intervene. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, there has been an instance where we had a major problem with our system about three weeks ago, which um, one of our servers went down and took some information with it, just destroyed it. And the backup server hadn't been switched on or connected. So for, we, we lost 15 minutes data, so it wasn't game changing. Um, uh, so, and it wasn't leaked. Anyway, but we, I had to take control at that point. Um, and you rattle a lot of cages when you do that. Um, yeah, so yeah. You, you've taken someone from total empowerment to um, for anyone that's in from the UK that's ever seen an old sitcom called Keeping Up Appearances. All of a sudden, they're over at Mrs. Bouquet's residence trying to make sure they don't break the china. Um, and I, yeah, you know, I'm conscious yeah. that um, when you empower, and to your point, you then do need to intervene. Um, does this give an imbalance of anxiety about is it an empowering day or is it a control day? And I'd like to think on balance. And it's a shame, actually, because one of our geeks sometimes is on the podcast audience. He's he's not in the audience today. Um, <clears throat> and um, and I remember him, well, he spoke to someone after this particular incident and said he's really disappointed in himself. And I said, I don't want it to be, you know, it's fine. You don't have to be, you know, of course, frustrated you've made a mistake, but you've learned from that's good. And you know what? We don't make those sort of mistakes twice. So... Um, it's interesting, as you say, because the empowering versus delegation. Um, I like to empower, and therefore, if I do delegate, I delegate lock stock, not not piecemeal. Yeah, I think it's all. A, it goes back to that thing that we talk about. You know, having the conversation about the kind of conversations we just might have around here. Yeah, and there are times um, when. I'm, why am I thinking of Jesus and the disciples? Why has that come into my head? Why not? So Jesus says to the disciples, "Sometimes, guys, I'm going to be autocratic, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be, you know, godlike, <laughs> and tell you uh, how it's gonna be, because I think that's what you expect of me." There are other times, uh, Peter, Paul, Ringo, John 
What are the other disciples called? Dave. <laughs> Debbie. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've got a... We've got a we, Debbie. We've got to keep it... Yeah, exactly. Diverse. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie the um, disciple. <laughs> I, don't, I can't do this now. Sorry. <laughs> Involved the disciples. <laughs> my brain is so frazzled. I've got a fox I about. Play, I play, yeah, blame your fox in the Anybody garden. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So, so there are what are you talking you... about? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, sorry. <laughs> it's one of those days today. But... Anyway, yes. Delegation oh, empowerment. Also... <laughs> so Jesus says to the disciples. <laughs> Sorry, audience. <laughs> Sometimes I'm going to do this democratically and look what happened. Hey. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh. Uh, you've just got to be careful of metaphors, everybody, because <laughs> yeah. sometimes... They don't work um, out. Well. Yeah, they what do. would have happened? What would have happened if Jesus had been laissez-faire and, you know, just kind of like, oh, just get on with it and do it your own way. I don't really give a shit. Um, but the truth is, I think Jesus was probably, you know, a combination of all those things. And boy, you know, the legacy was massive. The biggest brand known to man, one of the biggest brands, you know, the cross, the church, all its bits and bobs, its gargoyles and everything else that goes with it. I'm not I'm not religious in any way, but can you tell? <laughs> all that stuff. All the trinkets and everything else. Um anyway, so uh the, the point is that I was trying to get to and I just put the I, I put a metaphor in that I actually think could work uh if I thought it through. Um I think you've got to be a bit of all those things and you've got to talk to your team um and to prepare them. Um, for these things. so But then I think it's your default. What is your default position? Mm. Are you more autocratic? Are you more likely to delegate everything? Are you excited by getting people participating and developing their thinking and the process, the very process of their thinking um, and, and actually really celebrating the way they think and how they think and then ultimately the big think that they do that is potentially game-changing for them and the business. Um, I think I got there in the end, and No, you did. With this ridiculous um, piece. But... Um, it's going to live on in, in legend, I think. <clears throat> that's... I need to... I need to um, re restore myself into some sort of dignity now, having lost it completely. Uh, sorry for the... Um, the display of emotion. Uh, I think it's been a long week. <laughs> Over to you, Ant, now. So I pull myself together. No, no, it's good. So there is a link to your thing and my thing today. Um, I beg your pardon. Yeah, sorry, my thing. <laughs> um, no, because I, I think there is there's a challenge around democratic leaders sometimes being disabled by democracy which then costs lives. Um, if, if you look at the minute at the COVID situation, um, 
a democratic leader, you know, let's assume, you know, let's let's be objective for a moment and not have any political persuasion on this at all. Yeah. So if if, if we think of the EU at the moment, they are being damned all over the EU for their awful handling of the vaccination programme. And some of the posturing they're doing towards the UK at the moment, whether you're a Brexit or a Remainer, you kind of see it's it's not in good taste. It's not cricket, as we would say in England or Britain. And arguably, some of their mistakes have been from being possibly too democratic um, and not being taking the ball by the horns. And now, again, I'm going to remain really impartial here, although I will sit on the I'm not a fan of the person. But Donald Trump, like him or loathe him, um, he was not a democratic leader, really. Not um, really. In, well, in fact, there's lots of reasons why I'd say he was quite the opposite. But he was quite popular because of his willingness to take a decision and live or die by the consequences or just believe the consequences were always positive. Um, and, and, and equally, democratic leadership can have its consequences. So I was talking to JB before we went live today on this recording that I'm quite nervous because today is 10 years anniversary since there was a murder of a of a lady in England who on a night out was abducted um as it turns out by a taxi driver um who subsequently murdered her. Um and there was a big outcry in the UK 10 years ago this week. Uh, her name is Sharon O'Callaghan. I remember it. Um, and um, the government of the day, which was the coalition at the time, came out and said, we need to sort this out. This was Cameron and Clegg et al. And um, and it's 10 years ago. So I was always intending to mark the anniversary with something. But of course, two weeks ago um, in the UK again, you would have probably, I think, I think it's gone quite global actually, this news, is this girl walking home on a night out has been abducted. Um, sub- it, you know, it's been transpired. A police officer has been arrested in connection with her murder. I can't think we can say anything else for legal reasons on that. Um, and um, she's been murdered, brutally murdered, and 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 found in woodland 50, 50, 40, mm. 40, 50 miles away from where she was last seen. And again, the government have come out and said, you know, uh, you know, we we must reform. And I listened to this and got pretty angry. Because they had an opportunity ten years ago to You've reform. Seen it all before, yeah. And the reason being is, is ten years ago I was associated with a company called Am I Safe, and we'd set up a. Uh, this is when smartphones were very young. They, you know, iPhone was just starting to get a grip. Everyone's there's a big Nokia population still. There wasn't. There was three or four ecosystems. There was Blackberries. There was Android. There was yeah. um, iPhone. Um, web browsing was pretty mixed. If you went on one mobile phone browser or another, the experience was very dissimilar. Whereas I think today we, we know that now a website on a web a mobile phone looks good, whatever the platform, etc. Anyway, at the time we built um, a platform designed to help, in particular, women travel home safely at night so this in simple terms the phone app allowed them to put in the registration of the vehicle they're about to get into to check whether the vehicle was licensed or not it then captured the location of where they made the check and it emailed up to three people automatically that they set up when they set up the account a copy of the check the location of where they made the check saying i'm here i'm just getting into this taxi um, which the idea was it was designed to prevent a problem before it existed because that person could say to the tax driver, oh, I've just checked you, you're licensed, that's good. The tax driver then obviously has an immediate, okay, I'm being tracked, good. But equally, there are a lot of vulnerable taxi drivers as well who were you know, beaten up and murdered in some cases by their rogue passengers. 
So the system was built to protect legitimate drivers and passengers on a night out. And it was sabotaged by by democratic leaders. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how did they sabotage it and and why? OK, um, I hope you're sitting comfortably. And this is I know this is probably, you know, from a leadership tips perspective. I know this is a really anyway, there will be some at the end, I'm sure. Um, so. A, a little bit of a side note, the um, the there is no national register of taxi and private hire vehicles in the UK. So every local authority regulates their own register of licensed vehicles that can operate in their jurisdiction. In the UK, there are 382 or there were 382 local authorities in the UK. So each one of them had a licensing manager who would be in charge of taxis, um, as well as betting shops, sex shops, um, pubs, clubs, anything that needed a license effectively. So these people, unelected people, were very, very powerful local civil servants. And of course, what happened was as we um, as we expanded very quickly. So we launched in August 2011. So, um, you know, five months after um, Sharna Callahan went missing, we were building at the time. We were devastated that we didn't get it out sooner. Um, in any case, um, we went to, to a handful of councils to say, in order for this to work, we need your data. <laughs> because in order for someone to check whether the vehicle's licensed or not, we need your data. And at the time, of course, um, again, less things were digital than they were now. Um, now, some councils were brilliant. They had really good, clean data um, and would get that data. So Milton Keynes, Watford were two examples of these local authorities that really took the safety of the public seriously and were really not bureaucratic. <laughs> they were not democratic. They were, we have, well, democratic bureaucrats, sorry. Anyway, long story short, um, as we expanded, we started to realise how bad a lot of the council's datas were. You know, their databases were very, very poor quality. And we challenged them on it constructively. We said, look, we can help you cleanse your data. You know, and actually police forces were interested in talking to us because they wanted to use the data for their AMPR vehicles. So yeah, because normally yeah. if they pulled over a licensed driver, they'd have to wait until the next day when the office was open to check whether the driver's taxi license was valid still. It hadn't been revoked or anything. So, you know, it was a very, very laborious system, which we were hoping to revolutionize. Anyway, long story short, we um, basically a lot of the council would refuse to give us their data. Legally, they couldn't resist it because all we're asking for is a registration and confirm its license to make matter. All the thing was in public domain. Um, so we resorted with the hundred over a hundred of them um, in requesting their data via freedom of information requests, um, which forced them to give us their data. It also then forced them to give up their data for us to then test whether it was accurate or not. But we had loads of issues happening. We had people checking vehicles that were Ford Focus. It wasn't, it was a Toyota Corolla. Other bits of data that were saying it was red and it was blue. Um, we had instances where it, it was illegal in certain parts of the UK to have your taxi license in one council area and another. And we were discovering all these vehicles that were licensed for a student night in a Nottingham on a Monday, Lincoln on a Tuesday. And we were now reporting this back to them saying, what are you going to do about it? You've got these illegal drivers. Um, and then we so had, you weren't very popular. No, not, not with the councils. <laughs> in certain places. Um, and some drivers were quite frustrated as well because actually they were legitimate drivers and they were welcoming people to use the service. But people weren't getting into their cabs because they weren't on the register. So they would call us up saying, I'm a licensed driver. Can you add me to your database, please? Well... 
the single source of truth is the local authority, not you, mate. We believe yeah. you, but we can't take that as gospel until we have validation from the local authority. Long story short, um, we discovered, we got a debate in Parliament through our MP, brilliant, got loads of press coverage, BBC News, if you Google Am I Safe Taxi, um, it's probably 10 years ago now, so I'm not sure how much there is of it left, um, but it was all over the press um, about data integrity. And actually it did, the other thing that happened was some councils were insisting under the laws at the time, they could give us the data in hand. So we had to go and collect the data if we wanted it. Oh my goodness. And there were posters, 30, 40 pages of documentation rather than emailing as a spreadsheet, despite the fact they had it on a spreadsheet. This is 2011 yep. when, you know, you you could have data um, movable on electronic yeah, files. Yes, CSV file, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, it's not like 1982. It all came to a head, JB, when we were contacted by one of our good guys in licensing authority. Because remember, there are there were some good ones out there. In fact, I'd probably say there were 30 or 40 that were really engaged in it. Their data was clean. They wanted to promote public safety. They worked with the police forces. They really wanted this to work because they wanted their safety to be improved in that area. They wanted to say, we are credible. Anyway, yeah. one of those guys called us, and they won't be named because I'm conscious that they gave up some really sensitive information. They gave us their login to a licensing discussion forum. Um, so all licensing officers in the UK had this forum they could go to to discuss ideas for licensing and they said you need to go they rang us up and said you need to go to this website here's my login because you won't get a login for it and have a look at what they're doing and we logged on to it and they were they were building a way to stop us they were debating how they can stop us having access to their data so we're going to make them come to our offices and make them wait for two hours which is how long we can get them to do it we're not going to give it to them digitally we could do but you know they're not questioning wow. my data encrypting so ultimately, we, then then what happened is we went to TfL and we were having a meeting with TfL. Transport for London for yeah, global listeners. Sorry, yeah. So we then had um, various safety, we had a safety charity, Susie Lampler Trust in there with us as well. And the question came up, what happens if JB gets into a taxi believing it to be licensed and it subsequently is not? Mm -hmm. So in other words, the data actually is wrong the other way around. Um, yeah. And obviously TfL looked at us, we had our lawyer with us. Um, and they said, well, you own the data. As long, we, we will only supply the data you give us. Um, so, it, and it's flawless. It can't, it can't not yeah. work. Uh, and at that point, TfL went, no. Um, I have a letter somewhere from um, none other than the now Prime Minister, former Mayor of London, saying we won't give you the data because we don't want you to... And, and they're right to a point. We don't want to put the public at risk by giving people guidance that it's safe when it's not. But ultimately, the problem existed that... This democratic leadership, Mayor of London, um, clearly was wanting to empower TfL to not do anything about the problem. And in the meantime, there had so there were ten sexual assaults in London every month um, of unlicensed drivers. We even offered TfL because on our app where we weren't live with data, we said you can still track your journey. So put it in. It would say it's not licensed. That's not, and then it just had a disclaimer: we're not the, the, the data may not be available from this area but we're still going to email your friends and families. Please tell the driver you've captured their registration. Because obviously then, they're gonna, right, okay. <laughs> um, and we were given um, 30, 40 examples in London of unlicensed drivers operating using the app. They had a notes button and they said, this person's unlicensed. Um, and we gave this data to TfL and they didn't do anything with it. <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting, Anne. That, I mean, we didn't talk about the subjects um, we were going to bring up um until you know about an hour ago hmm. um and the 
it's extraordinary how those two things actually fit so closely together in terms of, uh, you know, the autocratic style, the democratic style, um, and the delegative style. Uh, you know, we have a government in power now in the UK um, that that I think is 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 certainly pushing the boundaries uh, of democracy, um, and you know, there are some who are are very worried that we are pushing those things a little bit too far. Um, then, you know, what you've just said, actually, uh, if we do have a government that is comfortable with a more autocratic style, um, then this is the government that might, if it's minded to do so, to just be... Um, bloody-minded about it in the right way and just get it done. Yes. Which is the famous um, catchphrase of of the leader of our, our government in the UK, um, just getting it done. So I I think it's quite interesting. But What was yeah. interesting, just as a final point, was that, the, and I'm going to be very careful how I say this, Yeah, you could identify the political party that ran the council based on how they behaved. Yeah. And yeah. the more democratic they believed them to be, there were too many people on that council steering committee that would lean the conversation away from doing what's right. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's a relationship, it seems to me, and I'm only just sort of really, you know, kind of exploring this stuff. The relationship between the autocratic leader and the delegative leader, i.e. the laissez-faire leader, who um, lets it all hang out and let things happen um, until there's a point where they need to take control. Um, then they then they go straight into an autocratic mode, take all controls away and swing the other way. I've seen that. I've seen that in, in operation where a culture in an organisation is probably a little bit more laissez-faire uh, from the top, that they believe uh, in everybody being able to do everything. And they don't, they can be very light touch, very light touch indeed. Um, and then things start going wrong and regulators start freaking out. Customers um, start getting products and services in the wrong order, in the wrong place at the wrong time, experience that. Um, and then suddenly the autocratic beast arrives in your face um, and starts taking your power away, even if you're one of the people who has a participative democratic style, you're then left in this middle part of, of a democratic approach um, on either side of you You've got laissez-faire and autocratic leaders in your culture. So what a mess. So then the it's so important that in the in the in a good culture, in a in a healthy culture, everybody knows the role of the leader and the leadership team is to perhaps operate all three elements 
but with full uh, knowledge and understanding uh, of how these things work. Enshrined in the way things work, we have a strong leader and a strong leadership team that are not afraid to lead and direct. And yeah. they make the big decisions when they have to, but their default is to get everybody participating. But this links a bit back, though, JB, to something we were talking about in a previous episode, which is where two big organisations can become over-bureaucratic, democratic. So we, we talked about the UK, didn't we? As in, you know, should it or shouldn't it be part of the EU? Then we also talked about Scotland being possibly independent and actually are they more agile by being independent? Um, and in this instance, with the example I was given... Um, the local authorities are run by council officials who are ultimately elected and therefore you could have a um, right of centre member of parliament representing you in London but in your locality on the local issues such as licensing and um, streetlights and things you've got the opposite and often I felt that the democracy was harming itself because they were just trying to point score amongst each other so there wasn't this this consideration and it's and you can see that happening i think there is a deliberate attempt in being honest i think there's a deliberate attempt in some of the devolved nations in the uk i'm i'm british i i re in the census survey it said what do you re i don't know what you did i did i did british i'm half scottish yeah. um but i know that there is a lot of political game playing on going on right now to create that divide between england and scotland and and that's disappointing for me. But hey, if they vote to leave, I would support that in the same way that I support the fact that Brexit's been voted through and we accept it and move on. Um, but um, but I do wonder whether democracy, democratic leadership in those instances, you know, Boris Johnson has come out and said to Nicola Sturgeon, you ain't having an independence vote. But she's saying in a manifesto, a vote for us is a vote for an independence vote. Yeah. But yeah. she doesn't have the power to enforce that. Um uh, equally, two weeks ago, the, or was it one week ago? Weeks a long time in today's world. Um, the Harry and Meghan interview, and some people would say that the uh, it's a very democratic way of deciding what the Buckingham Palace are going to say in response to it. Um, you know, they've been very careful and considered, and there's clearly a committee of people drafting and redrafting and redrafting, and eventually someone produces something which kind of doesn't say anything at all, but says something. <laughs> and, and is that not? Is that not good leadership? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a whole episode, really. We've got listener questions to get through as well in a minute. Oh gosh. Well, I think I think we've we've picked a, we've picked quite a big a big subject. And I I I was thinking when you're talking about um, Meghan and Harry um, and the sort of blancmange jelly car crash that they went into in a, a few weeks ago. Um, you know, are they? Millennials are they millennials? Do you think? Yeah, they are. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Harry's, Harry's so, 80, Harry and Meghan are both eighties babies, aren't they? So they're millennials. Yeah. So millennials, um, which which style are they going to want? You know, are they going to want uh, autocracies? Are they going to want democracies? Are they going to want um, incredibly light touch um, government, uh, light touch employers? What are they going to want? Um, and would it flip again in three or four years' time when people realise that over-democratic leaders means nothing gets done? I mean, ironically, I, I, I've joked about it before, I think, on this podcast, is that however you voted between 2010 and 2015, when there was a coalition in power in the UK, it was actually a pretty stable period. 
you know, we, okay, there was a couple of terrorist incidents, but actually it was peaceful. Um, things got done. Um, the Liberal Democrats were arguably the heart to the Conservatives' conservatism. Um, and there was this, it seemed to run, the country seemed to go okay, apart from am I safe, but that's a whole different subject. Um, yeah. But, you know, and therefore there was harmony. But then arguably that was probably the work that was pre-done on the run-up to them being elected, or it was actually a period of, we need that period of just doing nothing. Um, so democracy can be useful. When change needs to happen, that's when I think democratic leadership ain't going to work. And I think, unfortunately, yes. we're going to go round and round the houses on the Sarah, um, um, forgotten the lady's surname now, um, the, the victim in London. Yeah. Um, you know, they're going to go around in circles because no, they'll it, all be infighting about whose fault it is rather than creating a solution. Um, and that solution is not about just saying to women, be safer. I think that's ridiculous, you know, to take more precautions. Our solution was designed to provide accountability and reduction of risk. But, you know, why are we not thinking? Why, why are government and local governments not being less democratic and working with organisations that can come in and just help them innovate? But innovation requires bold decisions and democratic... I, I did that, so I was thinking of the word brave, you know. I, yeah. I, think, I think, you know, the way uh, that streets are designed... Uh, from you know uh, safe places that 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 women can walk, um, and I, I was uh, talking to my son about this, who is a a policeman in London, and that you know if I if I see a lady walking in front of me and it's just her and I and it's a bit dark and windy, um, and I'm conscious that she might be looking back at me and thinking, are you um, you know am I in danger because of you? And I'm thinking, well, really, there is no danger in me, but that, that's not her assumption. Her assumption is that I might be a danger, in which case, if I sense it, and I have done this, I will walk to the other side of the road um, so that they don't feel threatened by me. Mm. And Yes, same. I, I think there are probably maybe four or five things like that that men um, need to be more self-aware uh, than ever... Um, I think we all need to be more uh, self-aware, more aware of others and more aware of situations that at any time before and in particular blokes, I think. And therefore street signage, street layout, street design, um, dare I say it, surveillance, hmm. um, you know, on, on quite a quite a grand scale, uh, and what you've been talking about, Ant, I, I think these are all brave measures that need to be discussed and need to happen. But like you, I just, I fear that when push comes to shove, it doesn't flipping happen, which I know gets you very wound up and upset about this particular subject. Yeah, uh, generally, I, I get very frustrated at any bureaucracy that that creates a slowing yeah. down of decision making. Yeah. And I also yeah. find it even more offensive when businesses don't innovate, despite the fact they're an innovator and market disrupted themselves. Um, what do we want? We want an autocrat. When do we want it? Now. Innovate. <laughs> and then not so much next year. Just right. let them get everything done and then let's go back to being a democ democracy. This is true. Right, we have two listener questions um, that we didn't need to get through today because one we didn't do last week, so we need to do that oh, one. And right. then the two okay. that sent it. So we've got one from the live audience and one sent in pre-recorded. Um, sorry, via the email. If you do have a listener question, globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com or join us in the live audience. Search podcasts 
on seedle.com and then you'll find the leadership podcast in the results of that search so we're going to go to the live audience one first because they've obviously been waiting patiently because they submitted it at four minutes past our start time jb so um later this year it's an anonymous question Later this year, I'll be taking on managerial responsibility from, for someone for the very first time. It's really exciting, but a big responsibility too. Are there particularly good resources to start off with as a first-time manager? Any particular tips for first steps into the world of managing and leading? Well, you're in the right space. Um, <laughs> and by the way, there are if you're if you're a Seedle member, there are loads of programs. Anyway, over to JB. Well, uh, my starting point is 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 always um, trust. And um, but I'm going to ask you if you've got a if you've got a pen um, and a and a beer mat or a bit of paper, draw an equilateral triangle, and then divide that triangle uh, into four sections. So you've got a left hand side, a right hand side, a top, and a, an up an upside down triangle in the middle. So if you're going to picture that, on the left side you've got you turning up as a manager and on the right we've got you turning up as a coach and on the top we've got you turning up as a leader and right in the middle in the upside down triangle part is a thing called trust that's your starting point and trust activates all three other parts so uh, the three codes uh, available to you is integrity for the leader, intent for the coach, and competence for the manager. When you're leading, uh, it is so important to be able to communicate a strong vision that inspires your team to follow and to view that as your lifelong campaign in that job. To work that out with your people is a is an absolute priority um, and to make sure that you do it with integrity. As the coach, um, this is when you give your people a damn good listening to and you think about you being coach-like. When you're coach-like, your whole function is to listen, to follow interest, and to facilitate the learning, performance, and development of your team. That is that big catch-all of the word coach. The manager is don't get fired because you're not competent enough to set clear objectives, divide those into tasks, and manage the KPIs, and, and manage the outcomes that you're looking for. So set realistic targets um, and make sure that you're a damn good manager for the business so if you if you split that triangle in two on the left side of it where the manager resides you do what's right for the business and on the coach side you do what's right for the people within it and get that balance as best you can get it no one gets it perfect no but 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 that's your life's work that's what i'm going to suggest to you and buy this book the inner game of tennis by Timothy Galway. Come back to us when you've read the book and had a go at the triangle and really thought that through and the questions that go with it of yourself and others, come back to us. I want to hear how you get on. So from my side, um, I, I think as a, 
as a starting point. So if you're looking for some little tips for the first steps, um, you in the question mentioned the words managing and leading. So I'm going to build on that. And, and JB talked about leader, manager, coach in his triangle, trust in the middle. And it's it's a very powerful triangle, which is actually JB's life's work. And if you get a few hours with JB, um, if the triangle doesn't come out, something's gone wrong. Um, it's or, in my next book. Yeah, is it? Is it? Okay, book two. That's the plan. Um, so I'm going to give you three words that associate the things you need to just be more conscious of as a good first step into being manager and leader. And I'm going to put it around the coach leader manager triangle and i've not done this before jb so apologies if i've if i still uh, something in but i hope this resonates with jb so if i was to give you one word to be in the foothills for being a coach first steps put over the, the coach area listen in the uh, leadership area inspire and in the management area measure so listen inspire measure um i think as you get into the foothills of being a manager, the best way to build rapport with your new people is just by start. You know, you're not going to be a coach from day one. You can't be that. You need to create a reputation for yourself first, but demonstrate your ability to listen and be interested in that person that you're taking on. On the inspire, um, now when you're a new manager, sometimes if you've not had too much training as being a manager, maybe you've been promoted for your competencies as an individual contributor. And what you can do is inspire people in the early days about your knowledge, but try and make sure that you're not trying to power over them with your ways of working, but certainly give them things that they can think is going to enhance their role. How are we going to make you a better individual contributor? Equally, if you're a brand new person that's not been a manager before, um, inspiring them can be straightforward things like just giving them regular feedback and actually showing that you're interested and you care, things like that. And, and it may sound cheesy in your head when you say it, but I promise the recipient will really value it. And then finally, measure on management. Um, if you're inheriting someone, which I think you're suggesting you are, taking on manager responsibility for someone for the very first time, um, revisit their objectives. Chunk them up and then measure them. That's ultimately what the manager area was all about, um, especially if you're managing these people remotely for the foreseeable future due to COVID. So around the, the JB's work is all around the leadership management coach triangle, um, around coach, the foothills, be a better listener, um, around leadership, think about how you can inspire. And with management, make sure you've got some decent measurement tools in place. Measurement tools for the outcome, not the process. Don't overmeasure the process unless they are completely incompetent. That would be my additional tip bits. Lovely. And do come back to us because <laughs> we love people coming back and uh, telling us how, how they've got on. Or um, give us some feedback on whether that was useful to you or not. If it isn't, we'll, we'll see if we can work harder yes. and provide better information. So a listener question, final one, because we're going to have to keep the other two back for another day. Uh, final question then, which is pre-submitted on globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com. Um, how do I beef up my CV demonstrating my leadership competencies? Nice question. Ooh. Ooh. Well, um, I, I am going to go back to the triangle because it's kind of, I think it's hot. Um, mm. And I think everything that we've just said uh, about that triangle, uh, the vision inspiration campaign of the leader, um, the coach, that thing about listening um, and facilitating... Uh, learning, performance and development, where's your evidence? Where's the evidence for inspiring your team? And where's your evidence for measuring, as Ant described, and being out outcome obsessed, dare I say, outcome obsessed 
um, and helping your team uh, to make sure that they are focused on implementing those outcomes. Um, I um, sometimes think now about conversations I've had with people in the past about going into some depth about the goal, uh, but never talking enough about the intentions, uh, their goal and, and delivery intentions. So always think about the intentions of your team. And if you can put that into your CV, um, I am a leader because I do these things. I am a coach because I do these things. And I am a manager because I do things like this. And I also have substantial evidence that I trust and I am trusted in organisations uh, throughout my career, then that, I think, is probably quite an enhancement to any CV. I have nothing to add to that. And that's not just because we're out of time. It's also because I genuinely think that's a really good idea. Um, just build it all around leadership management, coaching competencies. Um, and hopefully that will definitely help. Just, and I think demonstrating it, give an example if you can. I know CVs are supposed to be brief and punchy, although I've not written a CV for so long. Um, right. Because we're unemployable. This is true. Yeah, see, what you do when you can't get a job, you set up your own business. Um, <laughs> do, do podcasts and talk about Debbie the Disciple. Um, and live in a shed. Yes. Uh, and that, Yeah, exactly. Anyway, look, we're, we're at the end of our hour and you're welcome to the person in the audience that's just thanked you for, well, thanked us for the answer to the question. And they are going to come up and they are signed up to the Seedle sessions. So me and JB run a lot of leadership training on Seedle.com. So anyway, look, um, if you have a Great. question for us in the future, please email us, globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com. If you want to be in the live audience, you can do. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And it's part of the free membership on Seedle. Just go to Seedle, search podcast, find Global Leadership and register for your free account and you get into the room. It's as simple as that. You can ask us a question live and you can see our faces rather than just listening to us. Um, obviously, the podcast is out most Thursdays or Fridays on your preferred platform provider. But before we go, JB, what's your plans and closing remarks for the next seven days? Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, right. Well, book launch. Um, we're going to be talking about the book. Uh, we've got some characters coming in who um, are my co-authors. Um, they're nutty as fruit bats, even more so than me. Um, but they do get results and they're very interesting characters. So I would suggest um, listening to, into that podcast. We're putting a lot of work together um, to launch the book. Uh, you might see some stuff uh, around if you're on LinkedIn. Uh, and I think we're going on Facebook and we've got the internet going, the website being done. I mean, it is a big load of effort, last minute stuff, but it's all good. Um, and the base units of my kitchen will be going in this week. Um, well, I tell you what, the next week. there's nothing more fiddly than laying on the ground and just adjusting each leg and because of the mismatched oh, flooring. Oh my God, that's going to be uh, a nightmare um, because there is nothing even... There's nothing even in my life, let alone my kitchen floor. The problem is when we did it, redid our kitchen, you take all the tiles and you've got all the screen things underneath it. So we were going to put a floating laminate flooring on. And it, yeah, I, I feel your pain. I wouldn't go through. And we, we as you, you saw my new kitchen. That took, I did. That took weeks to build. I was trying yeah, to be and tight. And sold it. it. Yeah, sold it. In fact, on right move, it is that it was the jewel of the house. The, the oh, that's why you. That's why you got such a high price. Yes. Um, so I'm going to finish with one, I guess just finish with a little song, actually, because I'm in that kind of mood today. Mm. Um, and are you ready, Ant? Yes. We built this seedle. We built this seedle. We built this seedle on rock and roll. Yeah, I can see where you set up a business now. Thank you. 
Um, are, we, are we wrapping up? Is that it? That's it. We're done. We're That's done. it. That yeah. can't, I, there's nothing more. I've got nothing else to give. I am an empty husk. Okay. Anything exciting happening apart from the kitchen fitting? No, that's it. Nothing exciting beyond fitting kitchen units and launching a book and nice. everything in between. I'm going to be driving my new car with the roof off, oh. rain or shine. <laughs> anyway. Okay, song. What I've been driving in my car. <laughs> Name <laughs> the artist. Uh, madness. Yeah, well done. Thanks. Uh, anyway, I've been Anthony Price. And I've been Jonathan Bradley. And uh, reassuringly, I am completely out of any tunes left. And I'm exhausted from this this podcast this week. I've, I've, I'm emotionally drained. I've loved it, though. Love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.